your home for the biggest sporting events on the planet. TSN 690. It's just simple. James Harden don't want to be held accountable. Dan Tony is the worst defensive coach in NBA history. Ain't going to win. Ain't one as a head coach. And he easy to run over. And then again, what type of dude is you? The Rockets finally get a young black coach and you don't want to show up to camp. You don't want to play for him. How that look? And you wonder why every time a black coach get a job, they put him in a situation. Look what you're doing. What a real one would do is go play for that black coach and make him look good and build with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, some real ones. But obviously you want to chase rappers around. Yeah, it's former NBA player Steven Jackson uh, on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, uh, we are with you till 1 o'clock, and it's a pleasure to welcome to the show uh, for the first time from NBCSports.com, covers the NBA for them. He's Kurt Heelan joining us. Kurt, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. Thanks for having me on. I'm, look, I'm, it's all good this morning. Newcastle won. I'm, I'm good for the day now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad for you. I saw you tweeting about that uh, just a little bit earlier on. Uh, but uh, how, what do you make of this whole James Harden thing? Like we see Steven Jackson, who had uh, you know had a stretch in the league there, is not happy with uh, with the way it's going for for Harden. But like, what do you think happens, and what would you like to see happen? What I think happens is this ends up being a little more like the Anthony Davis situation. He, he just, A, with two years left, there's, it's really tough to put pressure on a team. They, they, they just know they've got all this time to, to find the offer they want. They don't feel like, well, you know, what we're going to get back is diminishing. Now, they might feel that after the trade deadline, which is why I think you're going to see a lot of buzz at the trade deadline. And we'll see if a team... Philadelphia or Miami or one of the teams mentioned in that has a little interest in maybe Brooklyn goes, wow, this is not working out like we thought it would, right? Like uh, we can't get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to play together in Philly or whatever it is. And then they, they jump in and make a bigger offer. But right now those teams all kind of want to see how it plays out before they commit the massive amount of players and, and picks and everything it would take to get hardened. So I my guess is maybe at the deadline, even more likely next off season before this deal gets done. Um, personally, I you know look man, I write about the NBA. You can drag the drama on as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talk a bunch about the NBA, so I'm right there with you. But it's just I think the the Rockets are are in a decent position here. Like, there's no rush. He's got a yeah. couple years left no. under. You don't have to rush this. No, you absolutely don't. Um, there's just it's hard to have that kind of pressure. The other thing that I think the timing was too early with Harden, it, or you do it quietly, uh, you know, not sh- not only not showing up to camp, but not showing up to camp while you're, like, all over social media it, it doing, you know, partying without a mask at parties in Atlanta and in clubs in Vegas and stuff. So uh, the advantage Anthony Davis had is, A, he, again, did it, you know, closer to a year and a half left when there was actual pressure on, you know, they, you could apply more pressure yeah. to the team. The other part of that is he had an agent. And whatever people think of Rich Paul, the agent, Rich Paul made himself the bad guy. Tells Anthony Davis, hey, go, go to camp. Go, to, go, go ask to play. Like, be there every day. Do your job. I'll be the guy who stands in front and takes the shot, slings and arrows, and I'll be the bad guy. Arden didn't have that. Yeah. Arden, this is James. This is James pushing for this. And I don't think, I don't think A, he comes off looking good in this, and B, I don't think he built up. I don't know. I don't want to say Anthony Davis had bad will built up, but he hadn't. 
the way James Harden plays, the way he has changed the game, and I don't want to he's an MVP and deserves to be top three, top five players on the planet right now. But people don't enjoy watching him. They have not built up the goodwill that Steph Curry had. Not that he's forced his way anywhere. Or LeBron James did. You don't, there's pushback against LeBron James, but I don't think that people didn't buy in in the way they are with James Harden. I just don't think he gets the breaks other fans. Fans, fans and media don't necessarily give him the breaks that they might other stars. He's Kurt Heelan of NBCSports.com joining us to talk NBA on Saturday Sports. Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. So, uh, not sure how much of the Rockets you saw last night, but John Wall played 19 minutes. Yeah. Um, overall, your your impressions, I think he finished with, uh, he had 13 points, 9 assists. I mean, he's obviously going to be a big part of that team. I'm just, I, I have my doubts as to whether or not he can, you know, handle the rigors of a full NBA season or a 72-game NBA season. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a preseason game, right? So, like, I don't care what sport we're talking about. <laughs> like, it's hockey or, or football or soccer. Whatever. Like, yeah, I'm taking everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. There's some bench guys in there. But he did look, he moved pretty well. He looked sharp. His vision was there. He's always had some craft to his game. And, it, you know, it's not just the athleticism. And he looked really good doing it. So, I thought, look, I thought Wall looked pretty good for a preseason game. I thought Boogie Cousins moved well and yep. played pretty smart for a preseason game and he had a really nice start. I I'm with you. Like that's okay, good for them. But A, we've got to see him do it in the regular season a little bit and the second part of that is it's with all of them it's more about the the rigors of of the season, right? Like it's it's a condensed 72 game schedule where guys are going to be physical on them and and we'll see if they can hold up. I also caught a lot of the uh I saw a lot of Magic Hawks and I saw a lot of Clippers Lakers last night. Um, I think it's fair to say that the Lakers are the odds-on favorites, right? To yes. to repeat yeah. by a no, long they shot, are, they are. I think they're on their own tier. I think they're just yeah. they're just better than everybody right now. And if a team, you know, Clippers or anyone else, if any team's going to get up there and beat them, it's going to be be because they came up and got them. Like right. it's, it, the Lakers are good. So how do they? So how do they? How does this play out where they don't win back-to-back titles? Um, outside of the obvious you know, health concerns that hit, you know, the, the easy answer with every team, but especially, especially this year with, with the coronavirus that, that could, you know, hopefully nothing, nobody gets anything serious, but you can just in the, in a deep West, you could make your path to the playoffs a whole lot harder. If, if LeBron's out for three weeks and suddenly they're not the number one seed, they're the number three seed, you know, and they're behind the nuggets and Clippers. It, it just things like that could make it more difficult um, also, I just think, look, I think the Clippers, I think Brooklyn, I think maybe Miami, maybe Philadelphia. I think there's teams capable of rising to their level. I just have a lot of questions. I don't necessarily have those questions against um, with the Lakers. Like, I just ha- I don't have a doubt that LeBron's going to put together a team that come playoff time is going to be a force of nature. I-, I got all sorts of questions about Brooklyn and the Clippers and everybody else. And were you, I mean, just uh, sticking with the L.A. theme here, how surprised were you that, they committed the, the the Clippers did. They committed to Paul George long term when you know the, they flamed out of the playoffs last year for whatever yeah. that's worth. And I believe Kawhi Leonard uh, is up at the end of this year. Why commit to Paul George right now? They've given up so much to get him. He's, he's look. He's still a top fifteen player in the NBA. I know he's not a top five guy, but he is the kind of guy who should get a max contract. Um, he's, he, I think we all tend to remember him hitting the side of the backboard in the playoffs and forget that he was a 20 point a game (laughs) guy in the regular season. Like he, he can't play. They, I think he knows. And I think Kawhi knows that they didn't um, 
perform well in the postseason. The other part of that is just that. It is about Kawhi. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Kawhi is if they're if the Laker Clippers are going to contend with the Lakers, it's because Kawhi Leonard is capable for a stretch of games in, in a you know in a playoffs of playing at LeBron's level. We saw it in Toronto, you know, just a couple of years ago. He is capable of playing as well as anyone on the planet. He's, he's not going to do it for an extended, se- you know, full season. He's still, well, he's still an all-NBA player, but mm-hmm. I mean, he, he has the ability to up his game to this incredible level. Um, I think that that's, they have to get him to resign. If the Clippers are going to win, they need Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and they need them at their peak. And if Paul George is in, Kawhi Leonard is more likely to be in. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. He's the lead NBA writer for NBCSports.com. Kurt Heelan joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, how good do you expect the Brooklyn Nets to be? Like, where do you have them finishing in the East? I have them, I think I had them after looking at the start of this, because I kind of, we were putting these together, and I've got, I've still got Milwaukee number one. I still think that that, especially in the regular season, I just, they're going to be very good. Yeah. Um, I had the Nets third, but I might move them up to second. I Boston, with starting the season without Kemba Walker, they're just—they—they're not the same. They have to have him at 100 percent, and they're—you know—without Gordon Hayward, they lose some shot creation. So I, I really need to see more from them. Um, you know, I, I've got them a little lower. So I, I, and I like Philadelphia. Maybe again, I've got to see it. So I've actually got them up to second now in the East. I'm not. Uh, I got a lot of questions. I got questions about where Boston's going to be during the regular season, and a lot of questions about Philadelphia and stuff. So. I, to me, but I it really, you know, we'll find out soon enough. What does Kevin Durant look like? Yeah. At the end of the day, that's mm-hmm. the, that, I mean, Kyrie Irving is an, an, this is sort of like the Paul George thing, right? Like, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Kyrie Irving's a very good player. A little nuts, but a very good player, right? <laughs> and if they're going to contend, it's because Kevin Durant's back to being one of those top five guys. I thought the pre-injury, the two years before his injury, I thought he was the best player Walk of the face of the earth. He outplayed LeBron two straight finals. I don't know that he can get back to that level, though. So speaking of Milwaukee, right now on December, what are we? December the twelfth. Odds that yeah. Giannis is in a Milwaukee Bucks jersey at this time next year is what? I'm going to say sixty-six percent, two thirds. Okay, I think it's like I, th- I think it's most likely he resigns. I'm not sure he does it. By the way before the December 21st deadline, which just leads yeah. to a cloud following that team all season. But I think he's trying to keep pressure on a small market organization to win. Like, he has that kind of – NBA players have that kind of leverage. He's using it. To, you know, he gets the – whether he signs this deal tomorrow or whether he signs it next offseason, it's the exact same deal, the exact same money. Yeah. So why not keep pressure on the organization? But ultimately, the only city he's lived in – and more than that, people forget or don't know, he grew up not in Athens, but like a poor immigrant family in Athens. Mm-hmm. And they were, it, it was a rough upbringing. It was, we were not welcomed by Greek society until they found out he could play basketball. Yeah. Um, and Milwaukee's the first home he's had where he's been embraced, and he really loves the city. And I think it is his home. And I think that pulls him to stay there ultimately. I just I wonder. It, it, it kind of reminds me of you know LeBron leaving Cleveland. He just he couldn't get anyone to go there. And, and I just wonder. I, yeah. I love the yeah, I love the holiday acquisition, Kurt. But can you get another NBA superstar to land in Milwaukee? I don't know that you can. Yeah, I don't know. And that ultimately may be the situation that he 
if he may ultimately, uh, he's really, I mean, ultra competitive. I know we wrote about this this morning and Woj had talked about it on his pod, but it's, he's one of those guys who's really driven by winning. Not so much the money. I mean, he's not making the most of, he's not got the, he's not using his brand the way LeBron does or the way Harden does or the way, you know, Curry does. He's really focused on just winning and basketball right now. And with that, he might step back and think exactly that. He might get through this season, have seen what happened and said, you know what? And if I go to Dallas with Mark Cuban or I go to Miami or I go wherever, you know, I can, I can get players to go there. I just can't get them to come to Milwaukee in February. And that, that, kind of, that really sucks for Milwaukee, but I'm, it's not impossible it comes to that conclusion. Kurt, I'll leave you with this one. What do you think of the uh, Tampa Raptors this year? <laughs> First off, they're warmer. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I love the new logo with the, the Raptor biting the palm tree. Yeah, that, that was great. That, thing, that was really clever and well done. I think they're good. Look, this is a good team. You know, I didn't throw them in my very top of the East because I kind of think they're the second tier. I think they're going to miss Ibaka and Gasol. Mm-hmm. And the time is... I don't want to say the time is coming for a rebuild. The time is going to come where they move on from Kyle Lowry, even though he's the you know the greatest player ever to wear their jersey, you know, and be the face of the franchise in a lot of ways. They're going to have to turn this thing and start building around Pascal Siakam. But they're not going to be. I still think they're a top, very possibly host a playoff series in Tampa, and I think they're going to be good this year again. That is a very very well run organization. Hey Kurt, thanks for doing this, man. We appreciate it and uh, thrilled for you about uh, the way the Newcastle game went. Yeah, exactly. And started the day out on good news, so hopefully we'll see. If it just continues this way for a few hours, we're all good. Fantastic. Thanks for doing this. Take care. That's Kurt Heelan. He's the lead writer for uh, the lead NBA writer for NBCSports.com. Uh, joined us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. And uh, I did catch a lot of NBA last night. I mentioned that I saw a good chunk of the uh, Magic and Atlanta Hawks. That game was actually on TSN, and uh, which is why I saw a good chunk of it. Uh, but uh, I definitely perked up in the final few minutes of the fourth quarter when Karim Mane uh, got his first opportunity. Montreal are make, trying to make the leap uh, straight from Vanier College to the NBA, uh, and uh, he looked uh, he looked okay. He took one shot, was from three, uh, and he was a little light. He did miss, uh, but he had a steal, uh, had a rebound, he had a couple of assists, uh, and uh, no, I, th- I thought overall it was I was fairly positive. And look, it, it's something to build on. When it comes, you have to keep this in mind with Karim Mane. You're talking about a guy again who's going from CJEP to the NBA. And I do think that it's going to take some time. Uh, I'm not sure that he's going to stick with the Orlando Magic this year. Uh, I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time. I do think he's going to have to develop in the G League a little bit, get some minutes there because he is very raw. Uh, But you can tell, uh, active on the glass, uh, good hustle, good work ethic. Uh, Listen, we've seen, you know, we how much. Can that shot develop? We, I mean, we saw him dominate, you know, at the CJEP level. But can he, can he be a dominant player in the NBA? I don't think he can be a dominant player in the NBA. But I do think that he can develop into a very serviceable player. And I'm just, I'm just excited the way things are going, not just in the country, but specifically in this province. And Karim Mane is a really big part of that. And Lou Dort out in Oklahoma City, he's a really big part of that. Ken Birch as well. Like these guys are making names for themselves in the NBA, and uh, it's something really cool to see. It's it's honestly something that I didn't know or I didn't anticipate uh, would happen, um, but we're at a point in time where I don't want to call this the golden age because I think these guys are paving the way uh, for a lot of the up-and-comers, 
And I think that, you know, you watch the playoffs last year and you see what Lou Dorr did specifically against James Harden. And I think that you gain a lot of respect. You gain a lot of street cred that way. And inevitably, you have a lot of young basketball players that are looking up to you saying, hey, I'm, I'm a kid from Montreal. And this guy, Dorr, or this guy, Manet, or this guy, Burt, like these guys are... You know, they're, they're, they're creating a path for us. So uh, excited specifically with where the NBA is headed uh, with, uh, with Montreal in this province. I don't know that we'll ever get a team here, which is sad. But at the same time, it is really cool to root for, for local guys. Uh, who are making an impact on the biggest stage. Again, with Karim Manet, played six minutes last night, 0 for 1 from the field. It was a three-pointer that he missed uh, late in the game. Two rebounds uh, on the uh, on the defensive end, and he did have a steal. He was plus one, limited minutes. Uh, hopefully, uh, he gets some more run in the, uh, in the during the Orlando Magic's preseason, but I fully anticipate that he's going to get a lot of action uh, in the G League probably this year and maybe even next year. It's time for the disaster of the week. One of the dirtiest football players in NFL history is accused of doing something really dumb in Las Vegas over the weekend. Believe it or not, this all started because of pizza. I'll tell you what happened. This is Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. You're listening to the home of sports in Montreal. TSN 690, CKGM, and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome back. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri. Just a reminder, we will be joined by our NFL analyst. He is Mr. Jeff Reinbold. He'll join us from London. He's uh, working for Sky Sports uh, over the weekend. But right now, it is time for the disaster of the week and uh, I want to uh, this one caught my eye the story caught my eye this week uh, because it involved pizza and a former well I don't know if he's a former football player but uh, Vontez Perfect you know him cheap shot extraordinaire spent a lot of time with the Cincinnati Bengals was with the Oakland Raiders last year uh, and uh, signed with the Raiders was suspended for the rest of the season after uh, he hit Jack Doyle the Colts tight end in the head in week four and he's a repeat offender so uh, the NFL decided to throw the book at him and, uh, and yeah, he hasn't latched on with another team since. Uh, but uh, over the weekend, it was last weekend, the news came out this week, uh, but this occurred last Friday uh, in Vegas. And uh, we've got some details on the arrest uh, with Vontez Perfect. Um, basically, it happened at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And uh, a security officer wrote in a citizen's arrest report requesting a misdemeanor charge of battery that Burrific and his two friends blocked this security guard and another one from exiting an escalator uh, in the hotel. Basically, all this happened because Burrific and his crew felt like they were being followed uh, by security while they were looking for a secret pizza joint. It's like a speakeasy pizza parlor, apparently. And uh, it's the pizzeria at Cosmopolitan. And apparently, it's really, really hard to find. But... So the Vontez Perfect and his uh, and his boys were searching for this pizza spot at the Cosmopolitan. They couldn't find it, and they were beginning to get more and more frustrated. And uh, then they got into it with security, and they beefed. I'm not sure why it is uh, that uh, Vontez Perfect keeps finding himself in the news for the wrong reasons, uh, but he is definitely a disaster on the field, and now... He is a disaster off the field. Disaster. As well, Vontez Perfect getting himself into trouble because he couldn't find a pizza spot out in Las Vegas. I don't know if he ever gets back into the NFL. Um, I just, he's, you know, he's a guy who had a very good career, in fairness to him. 
Uh, but he's had, I think when you remember Burfecht for his career, you're going to remember the cheap shot on Doyle, like we mentioned. You're going to remember the cheap shot on uh, Antonio Brown when he was still a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, that helmet-to-helmet hit. It's a shame because Burfecht was actually pretty good. He was more than a serviceable uh, NFL player. He was a starting inside linebacker caliber player. And it's a shame that people aren't going to remember him for that. They're going to remember him for, you know, dumb incidents like this. And they're going to remember him for the things that he did on the field that weren't so kosher. So uh, it's a shame uh, because he is a good player. But Vontez Perfect, I think his NFL days are done. It's over for him. Uh, not sure that he's going to get another opportunity. Not this year anyway. And when you're 30-plus and you've been out of football for an entire year, uh, very rarely... Uh, do you get another opportunity to prove yourself? Sometimes, even if you're talented, uh, you just become more trouble than you're worth. This will be the second year in a row that the New, Eng- that the New England Patriots head into the offseason with question marks at quarterback. We know what happened last year, but what should they do now in this offseason? Jeff Reinbold will tell us in Saturday Sports. Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Join the social sports conversation. Follow TSN 690 on Facebook. Click on Facebook.com slash TSN 690 Montreal. You're going to stick with Cam next week at quarterback. Yeah, great Sorry. question, Mike. I'm really glad you asked that. Cam's our quarterback. What has Cam showed you to, to stick by him so much? He's our quarterback. I could just answer that one, Ben. <laughs> Vintage Bill Belichick after uh, the Thursday night football loss to the L.A. Rams. He's sticking with Cam Newton. He's not going to find out what he has in Jarrett Stidham. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. It's a pleasure to speak to this gentleman every week. He's our NFL analyst, works for Sky Sports, and he's the special teams coordinator of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Joining us live from London, England, Jeff Reinbold. Jeff, what's going on? G'day, mate. <laughs> You're, uh, I was talking to, I uh, was connecting, the operator was connecting me to you, <laughs> and uh, they wanted to make sure I really knew uh, who I was calling because uh, you're like, uh, you're, you're huge. You're a huge deal out there. Oh, stop it, would you please? Well, you're, you're a massive Let's get celebrity. Let's on to football. Will you come on now? You're all right. me here. All right, all right. Let's get on to football. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Belichick is, is being serious? or oh, I know he's being serious, but do you think he's being truthful when he says uh, that he's going to stick with Cam Newton after Thursday night, and what would you do? Well, I think that's what he says he's going to do, and you know, usually you know, he's not very far off from what he says, but w- what surprises me about it is the fact that you know, obviously you can see, everybody can see, and that Cam's not the solution in New England, and he struggles to throw the ball anymore. Uh, he looks, it's almost painful to watch him even run. He, he is a mere, you know, just a shell of the player that he was five years ago. And now for the Patriots, they've got to find out what they have in Stidham. You know, he's played in, in spots the last couple of weeks, but he needs the reps. He needs the time. I think, you know, from a just from a purely football standpoint, and this is um, you know, this is really hard to do because you're talking about the the greatest coach of all time. I I would question this. I would I would want to know what I had in Stidham as I go forward to build my team for the future because the Patriots are in rebu- rebuild mode. There's no question about it. Yeah, and I'm listen. I I give I think this is not a hot take, Jeff, but I think that Bill Belichick is the greatest head coach that I've ever seen. Uh, and I think that this getting six wins out of this team is remarkable. But at the same time, the reason the team, or a part of the reason that the team looks the way it does, yes, there were opt-outs because of COVID, but they haven't really done well 
uh, when it comes to drafting and developing, especially with playmakers at the receiver position. So, you know, I just wonder, I don't know, I know they've got a lot of cap space. I don't know, though, do you think they'll be able to attract players, quarterback or other position, to go to New England? Because I don't know that they're going to be chasing a ring. Well, I think there's a couple things, Joey. First of all, if you entered the Kentucky Derby on a mule and won, I'd be less surprised than these guys winning seven games this yeah. year. Because they have, I mean, I think this is really his best coaching job. I, I, no question about it, because they are absolutely, you go through that roster, and I defy you, other than offensive line, and maybe a couple of those secondary guys, people that you would want to trade for on most any other NFL team. And that's a credit to his genius, how they play complementary football and, you know, mitigate the, the challenges that they have. But, you know, they won two games with their quarterback throwing for less than 100 yards. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the wishbone, and this isn't 1935 anymore. I mean, you've got to throw the ball supposedly to win in the NFL today. And, and, you know, they've gotten six wins out of a team that can't. Now, that also leads to exactly what you're saying. There's a deeper issue here. They have not drafted well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of that is what happens when you're constantly playing in Super Bowls and, and you know championship games, is you're always going to draft at the bottom of the rounds. And that's the way the NFL wants it. That's how they you know try and keep parity in the league. But on top of that, they've missed on a tremendous amount of players, and a lot of them at the receiver position. And, you know, it's the jury is really still out on Enkeel Harry. I, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be what they thought he was going to be. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, first of all, it's not an exact science. Second of all, they're drafting low. Thirdly, what they do offensively requires a special kind of, you know, player. When I had Emmanuel Sanders in college, he took a visit up there before the draft, and, and Chad O'Shea, who was then the receiver coach, called me, and they were so interested in Emmanuel's football intelligence because so much of what they did offensively was based on you know, adapting your route to the coverage, reading the coverage on the run, understanding leverages, under, you know, all kinds of things that were really, really, really involved and, you know, frankly, hard on a lot of college players who don't even run the whole route tree in college. And so if you have high demands and there's not a lot of margin for error, then obviously all you have to do is miss on one or two, and and this is what you get. He's our NFL analyst, Jeff Reinbold, joining us on Saturday Sports. Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Uh, All right, I want to move on from the Patriots here a little bit. There's a couple of matchups I want to get your thoughts on. I've been following you on Instagram, though, and I know uh, that I think on Sky Sports, are you going to be breaking down Brian Flores, the job he's done in Miami? Yeah, I tell you what, um, you know, I've watched their whole season, um, and it is really incredible to me that, and I can't say anything other than it's been an, a, a total about face with that football team. Last year, their leading rusher was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan, 37 years old, Fitzpatrick. And this year they can run the football. And uh, all of a sudden, the defense went from being not very good to being dynamic, second in the NFL in scoring defense. And, you know, I call it the flow effect. And when you watch them, you can really, really see. He's done it in a, in a couple of ways. Number one, he went out and got 
good players in free agency, but not just good players because it's way more difficult than collecting football cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to get guys that fit your culture, fit what you want, understand uh, how you want to get things done, and then also fit within the salary cap. So, you know, they go out and get Agba, and they get Shaq Lawson, and they get Van Noy, and they get Gruger Hill, and they get Byron, Byron Jones, and all of a sudden the, the defense completely changes. And then all of those guys, to a man, are exactly what he wanted. Guys that were committed football players, intelligent, hard workers, disciplined guys. And when you watch them on tape, Joey, they are a very, very, very well-coached football team. You know, um, you see things that all good football teams do. They tackle extremely well. They understand leverage. They they're in position to make plays. Now they don't all make a, they don't make every play because nobody makes every play, but they give themselves the best possible chance. And there's so much of what he learned from Belichick in New England that you see in his football team. So I'm I'm really curious to see. Like last week, I know you and I talked about the Cleveland Browns and the Browns mm-hmm. responded, especially in the first half. Miami is in that position again tomorrow, one o'clock. They're at home to the Chiefs. And look, I don't necessarily expect them to win, Jeff, but I just I want to see if you can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes in that offense. Can you keep pace with them? You probably don't want to have to do that, but those guys are going to get their points anyway. I just want to see how you stack up against one of the elite teams in the league. Well, this, that's, that's exactly right. This is a tape measure game. This is where you find out who you are. And, you know, this isn't the Bengals. This isn't the Cardinals. This isn't this, this is the legitimately best team in the National Football League. This is the team that you can measure your, you know, self against. I don't think that they're going to come out and back down one bit. You know, uh, every week I pick a they ask us to pick a play a play of the week yep. show on our Tuesday show and why you thought that was a play of the week. And I picked the second time that Grant got roughed on the punt return right. and all of a sudden flows out in the middle of the in out in the middle of the field and he wants a piece of somebody. And the reason I chose that was was because what that showed me is that he and what that showed more importantly than me, his players is that he's got their back and that they are, that he's, you know, not one of them, because as a coach you can never be one of them and be successful. We learned that in Cleveland. But what, what, he, what those players understand is, is he's going to stand up for them. And he's, you know, he's going to get out there and he's going to get in the mix for them. And that's something, compare that to what happened, Joey, in Dallas when, their quarterback gets Bostic cheap shots him in the Washington yeah. game, and everybody stands around and nothing. watches. Yeah, nothing. Tells you everything you need to know about the relationship of the coach and the players. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. We're in conversation with our NFL analyst, Jeff Reinbold. All right, uh, we've mentioned Cleveland a couple of times. Uh, let's hear from their general manager, Andrew Berry. This is on Baker Mayfield. I think Baker deserves a lot of credit in terms of how he's approached this year. I don't know that the challenge of, you know, going into a third offensive system, you know, no off season can be appreciated enough uh, ex- externally. That's that's no easy task for any player, let alone uh, a young quarterback. I think everyone can see his growth really from quarter to quarter to quarter over the course of the season, and and, and he certainly does deserves a lot of credit for the work that he's put in. 
He was unbelievable, uh, Jeff, last week in that first half uh, at Tennessee. Uh, that was a question mark for me. I didn't know how he would come out, but he had 334 yards passing, uh, four touchdowns. He was accurate. He connected on a couple of deep throws, which has been a question mark for him. But uh, look, I just I have a hard time getting overly excited about Baker Mayfield because it is just a small sample size. It is a couple of games now that he's put together where he's been better. But what are you expecting between now and the last four games of the season uh, for Cleveland uh, and uh, and Baker Mayfield? Well, I think it was a big step he took because uh, Stefanski schemed some plays for him and set the table for him, and the kid delivered. You cannot take that away from him. The double move that he threw for a touchdown, that ball was put exactly where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. He didn't turn the ball over, which has been one of the things that's been a problem for him. And he, while he didn't put the offense on his back in the first half, he was the catalyst for the offense in the first half. I think the things that Andrew Barrier is are saying are really well said because it's not only three offensive coordinators and three offensive systems, it's three head coaches, three cultures. That kid has had to stand up and be the you know, the lead dog in the sleigh on the sleigh for all for all of that. And you know, I can say I can run a twelve yard in breaking route and call it a hook and you can call it a curl, and the next guy can call it a pivot. Well, it's all pretty much the same route, but the terminology changes. He's had to learn three different languages in three different years in the National Football League. And not only as the quarterback, you have to know everybody's job on offense, not just yours. You have to master yours, but you have to know everybody's. And now when you put it that way it's like learning french one year spanish the next year and russian the third year and then being able to master it all back and that's that's incredibly hard yeah so the browns are uh, at home monday night against the baltimore ravens uh, so prime time game you can hear uh, right here on tsn 690 uh, there's a couple of games tomorrow that i wanted to get to before i let you go jeff uh, i got to tell you i'm a raider fan but I've been paying very close attention to Indianapolis uh, this season. The Colts are at the Raiders this week. Uh, eight and four Colts, seven and five Raiders. I like that Jonathan Taylor, the running back for Indianapolis, is finally starting to pick up some steam and he's running the ball effectively. He did a couple times at the beginning of the year, uh, but lately in the last couple weeks, I know he had a, he was on the COVID list between a couple of big games. But I like that offense so much more when Taylor's running the way he's running. He's got to. If they're going to make a run in the playoffs, if they're going to make a, you know, a, a, a serious playoff run in Indianapolis, and they're good enough too, Joey. That's an outstanding roster. When they got DeForest Buckner, they got the last piece on defense that they really needed. When you watch him play, his shoulder pads are coming clean about every second time he rushes the passer. He's not sacking them every time, but he's getting a bunch of pressures and a bunch of hits. And, you know, clo- close counts when you're, rushing, when you're rushing the passer. The thing about that team to me is – You've got to look at the quarterback and say, is he, does he have enough left to take him to the promised land? And we're going to break that down in our Telestration series before the game. But let me just say this about what I saw watching a, a year full of Philip Rivers tape. He's, he's come to grips with the fact that he doesn't have to carry the offense on his shoulders like he did when he was with the Chargers. Mm-hmm. He still is very, very good at recognizing coverage, knowing when the blitz is coming, knowing where his hot is, being accurate with the underneath throws. 
where he is a liability is, first of all, in the run game, because there is no threat of him running the football. So when you hand the ball off to Taylor on the zone, the backside end just runs down the line of scrimmage. He doesn't worry about the ball getting pulled and going to the perimeter. So that's the first area. The second area is his arm strength has is is not what it once was. So there are balls, particularly balls over 20 yards. You look at his completion percentage over 20-yard passes, it's like 47%. And he gets a lot of passes batted down because the ball comes out of his shoulder so low. He has 13 passes knocked down, batted down on the line of scrimmage in 13 games. Mm-hmm. So those are things that, you know, you say – you know, you're going to have to work around. Frank Reich's going to have to coach around those liabilities. And, you know, can you win a Super Bowl like that? Only if everything else is working. And Taylor is a big part of that. His contribution in the run game is critical. Are you faster than Philip Rivers? I would say yes. And I would certainly challenge him. <laughs> Uh, and put, Joey, your next paycheck on it, and I'd say double down. That's uh, that's not a very heavy bet, Jeff. That's not a very <laughs> heavy bet at all. Uh, the last game I wanted to get your thought. What's your level of concern? Um, look, they're going to be in the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. But it's back-to-back uh, questionable performances from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I know the schedule's moved around on them. Uh, but what's your level of concern in Pittsburgh when it comes to how they stack up with the elite teams in the AFC? Well, I'll tell you on Tuesday because this this game this week is huge for them, absolutely huge. Because think about this, Joey, they have not played well in two weeks, right? They got away with one in Baltimore because Baltimore was playing their JV squad because of COVID. Then they played Washington and they got their butts beat and they dropped. It, it was the it was a replay of what happened in the Baltimore game. Couldn't run the football, drop passes. Ben's throwing it fifty two times, giving up big plays on defense, special teams very average. So the things that Tomlin was upset about after the Baltimore game, he was more upset about after the Washington game. Now, you've got Buffalo in Buffalo, and then you've got Cincinnati, and I think they have Cleveland and somebody else good at the end. Uh, They have Indy. Indy. This is a team if they don't get this game, this is a team theoretically could lose four out of their last five going into the playoffs, and that is not the way you want to go to the playoffs. They have to find balance in their running game. Pouncey's supposed to play this weekend. That is going to help them. Uh, Connor's supposed to play again, play this weekend. That's going to help them. But they've got to get out of this mindset that Ben's got to throw it 50 times to win. If you run it and you don't get five yards, you don't stop running the football. You've got to stay with it. You've got to continue to pound away. Buffalo is average in the middle. That's where you can, if you want to run the ball between the tackles against Buffalo, we can show you a bunch of evidence that you can do that. Do you want to get in a shootout with Josh Allen and that group of receivers? I don't know. Because the Pittsburgh receivers right now are dropping way, way too many balls. Mm. So this is a big, big weekend for the Steelers. And if you're a Steeler fan, boy, you better better get the rosary beads out because it's going to be tough in Buffalo. I I love this. The rosary beads. It's not like collecting trading cards, you said earlier, when building a roster. I love the references. Thanks for doing this, Jeff. And I'll let you get back to signing all those autographs in the U.K., all right? (laughs) 
<laughs> you are beautiful. I'll see you, Joey. See you next week. Thanks, Jeff. That's Jeff Reinbold, NFL analyst for Sky Sports, and uh, he's also the special teams coordinator of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I want to just get to our poll, our poll question on Saturday sports here uh, as we wrap things up. The question today was, you can find it at TSN690 and at Joey Alfieri on Twitter, if you could buy stock all based on on-ice performance. In one of these NHL teams, which one would it be? Habs, Leafs, Senators, the Habs, 72%. Of course, we are in Montreal, so that was, uh, I guess that was predictable. But the Senators making a late push. They're still in third, but they're up to 13%. Uh, 15% of you would buy stocks in the Toronto Maple Leafs. I said uh, that I would buy stocks in the Senators, and if you want to hear my explanation, you'll have to listen to the podcast of the show, which you can find on Apple Podcast. Uh, you can also find it on uh, SoundCloud. You can find it on Google Play. Uh, you can find it all over the place. Uh, thank you very much to all of our guests who joined us today, Isabelle Etier, Amar Sadich. Uh, we just had Jeff Reinbold and Kurt Heelan uh, joined us earlier on this hour to talk about the NBA. Uh, thank you very much to all of you who chimed in on Twitter, on the text message board. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody.